Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, I am joined by award-winning inspirational speaker and author, Charles Holly. Charles specializes in engagement, communication, and inspiration. Charles was born in Alabama during the civil rights time, and he has overcome a lot of obstacles, such as being the first member of his family to graduate from college, So we're going to be talking to him about his story. Charles, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so very much for having me, Mr. Jackson. I'll start start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm just a country boy uh, born in in, in Alabama, the 17th child. Yes, that's, that's right, 17th. I'm the youngest of 17 children born to poor farmers. Uh, during the uh, civil rights era in, in the 1960s. So I, I grew up on a farm, learned to pick cotton, chop cotton, bale hay, and actually went to school uh, in first grade at a all black school, at a small Negro school in our, in our neighborhood. And we lived in, in, in one of the segregated neighborhoods. So I, I did experience uh, some of the Jim Crow uh, type uh, laws, you know, separate water fountains, separate bathrooms, separate buildings, and so forth. Uh, in fact, uh, when, I was, when I was about five years old, my parents loved hamburgers. And so the, they always visited a small restaurant, but we could not go in through the front door. So our family had to walk around the back, step over the bushes, step past the briars, and, and go around the back to a very small, dirty window where we ordered, paid for our hamburgers and collected them. And not probably about six or seven feet away was a, a nasty garbage dump there. You know, it held food, you know, and, 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 uh, and whatever. So you can, you, you can imagine how that affected me mentally. And, you know, I actually, I actually had a, a serious problem because of that, because everything I saw that belonged to Black people was either filthy, dilapidated. So I actually internalized that and began to think of myself that way as just poor Black trash. And as a result, I had a very bad problem with stuttering. I could not put two or three words together to save my mom's life. You know, so it was just that bad, but uh, thank God I have been um, delivered from that. But in college, I was blessed to go on a basketball scholarship where I met my sweetheart. Uh, we got married and we're blessed to have two children, a boy and a girl. And we were living the life. We had just bought a brand new house. We had a huge backyard. Uh, we had a great, great life. Everything except the picket white fence and the dog. And just when we thought life could get no better, tragedy came. Tragedy came with the sudden death of our 13-year-old son. See, he was playing basketball 
at his middle school, last day of trials, running down the court and all of a sudden he collapsed, fell to the floor and minutes later, he died. Just like that, our son was gone. And autopsy said that the problem probably was a very rare heart condition called ARVD. And it's something that can cause the heart to speed up, slow down, or even stop. He had been playing sports with that condition for years. We never knew it until that day. Well, um, we all had, had our moments. At that time, my wife, my daughter was actually eight years old. Um, my wife and I were both saved. I had just been called into the ministry a year um, before my son's death. But I blamed God and separated myself from God because I thought he was not protecting my family. Uh, and my daughter withdrew, became quiet, uh, depressed. But my wife really fell deep, deep into deep depression. She struggled with suicidal depression. So that's, and when we come back, I'll tell you how all that, all that, all that turned out, but I'll just, just pause there for a second. Yeah, well, please continue because that, that that's the reason that you started writing due to your son's death. But yeah, continue. Tell us about getting into writing and, and how that turned out. Then we'll sure. get into race. Yeah, sure. So I was I was struggling with trying to express my deep grief, my anger with God. And the only way I knew how was to actually write. Writing was the only thing that I was, I was pretty, pretty good at. And so I began to write down my thoughts, my feelings, what I was struggling with, but not only myself, but what my daughter was struggling with, what my wife was struggling with. And I began to send them out on Wednesdays and I called them hump days. And they became so popular. And people began to write me back, some of them saying, I'm writing you in the middle of tears. I'm sitting here crying, you know, because they had been going through something similar. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I need to write this for the whole world to see. And so I penned my first book entitled When Flowers Fade. And I was surprised at how well that book did. And so, and so I, I've been writing ever since then. And everything that I write about is closely related to my personal experience. But to, to tell you how, how we, how all of us came through that period of time, each one of us had to have our own personal experience with God. You see, even though I was angry and I was blaming God, I still at some point had to go back to him. I knew that much myself. And at, and at one point, I just went to him and said, I, I don't understand, but I know that you have a good thing planned for us. And I know that my purpose is not over. I know my son is gone, but my purpose is not yet over. And God just, just began to heal me, work with me, work me through all of that anger, all that pain, all, all, that, all that blame. And my wife has a similar story. I mean, she had to have her own personal talk with God, so to speak, you know. And so when she had her experience, she called him the fourth man 
in the fire. And what that meant was even though she was struggling with suicidal depression, she said that Jesus came to her and sat beside her in the midst of that depression, not coming in to carry her out of it, but sat with her in the midst of it, just to let her know that even in the midst of, of depression, that she could still have peace. So she walked away with that, with that story and that, and her actually her, her testimony affects people the most because there are so many people out here struggling with uh, depression. So, and, and my daughter, likewise, you know, she, she, she withdrew for several years, several years. And, and finally, when she got into her 12, 13, teen years, you know, she had to have her own personal talk with God because she didn't know how to express the hurt and the pain that her big brother had been taken away. But when she found her personal relationship with God, he began to help her through that as well. And now we have a, a global ministry. I mean, our, our books end up in Africa, Australia, France. You know, we, we've, been, we've been blessed to go to um, um, uh, Jamaica to actually do a, a ministry there, Montego Bay, uh, Jamaica. So, um, you know, you know God, God, God just takes hurt. You know, he takes hurt, he takes pain, and he somehow turns it around and he turns it into a great testimony about him, about his love, his mercy, his grace. And so we all, we all know now that, that my son, uh, my, my daughter's brother is, is with God, you know. And every single day, we're, we're moving toward him. We're not moving away from him. We're moving toward him. Every single minute that goes by brings us closer to being reunited with him. And every single minute that goes by brings us closer to, to seeing Jesus face to face. And so now we can continue to do ministry with a smile on our face, with a great anticipation that one day, everything is going to become full circle, you know? Absolutely. Wonderful testimony. Tell us, let's talk about race. Tell, tell us about how we can communicate about the hard subject of race, because you grew up in that era. Yes, yes, absolutely. Let me, let, let me first talk about why I wrote my book, Black and White, Healing Racial Divide. When I saw what the whole world saw on TV, which was the murder of George Floyd, that that whole scene did something to me. I mean, I had to I had to withdraw myself and actually cry because a lot of things started coming back to me. Some things that I thought I had I had dealt with and and came to terms with. But when I saw that play out on TV, I literally cried and that just broke me because I realized that as a country and as a people, even though we have made progress, we still have so much more to do. And so I set out, I wrote this book with the intent on trying to bring racial healing, okay? So, in the book, I talk about how do we communicate? 
about race because it's such a hard, hard topic. How do we communicate? And one of the things that I, that I share is this, is that there is a path to effective communication, a, a path. And so here is the unsuccessful path we often take. We often begin with passion, and then we move from passion to verbal attacks, and then we move from verbal attacks to silence, and then we move from silence to separation. That's the path that's, that's often taken, but here is the path that should be taken. Begin with passion, and it's okay for us to be passionate, because there are some things that, that we are passionate about, and this passion is fine. So begin with passion, but then we have to move to communication. Instead of verbal attacks, we have to start talking to people and not at people. In other words, talking at people is calling people names, you know, saying uh, verbally ugly things. But when we communicate, we ask questions and say, do you mean this? Or, you know, do you understand? You know, so that's communication. And then we move from communication to listening. And listening is different from hearing. Okay, hearing is natural. Okay, we all we, we all we all hear, but listening is something that we have to practice and become good at. Okay, hearing is this. Hearing is is when we kind of uh, listen for certain words, and once we hear certain words, we make up in our mind what what the comeback is going to be. You know. And so at that point, we, we really stop listening. So, but listening is sitting back, taking in everything that a person has to say and not immediately giving a answer or a response, okay? Listening is thinking about it, mulling over in our mind and then choosing our words when we get ready to respond. So the path is passion, communication, listening, and then the last phase is understanding. Do we understand each other? We're not going to think the same. We all come from different places, different backgrounds, different cultures, different countries, and we're just not going to all think the same thing. So we have to get to a point to where we can agree to disagree without falling out. You know, as my mom used to say, you know, that we can disagree, okay, but at the end of the day, let's all walk away and, and still respect each other, you know? Absolutely. Well, give us some tips on how we can all unite around racial justice. Sure. So just as we aren't, aren't going to all think alike, there are some things that we can all unite around, you know. We can, we all should agree that racism is wrong. That's something that we can all unite on, even though we all may not agree on how to approach it, how to deal with it, but still we can all agree that racism is wrong. And so we can unite in our voices. So those of us who have been silent when we see things that are wrong, that's like giving power to the people who are doing the wrong. So we can unite, first of all, in our voices to unite to say, no, that's wrong. 
that's not acceptable, that's not right, and we're not going to do that. The people who feel the streets after George Floyd's death, all different races, all different backgrounds, all different cultures, all different colors. It was a, a, a beautiful thing. The peaceful incidents were beautiful. And they were just chanting, you know, uh, say his name, George Floyd. You know, unite in our voices for those things that are right. That's number one. And then number two is uniting truth. You know, we have to have truth. Truth must be told in order for healing to take place. And I wish that the United States could follow South Africa's example. When Nelson Mandela finally got freed and when he ascended to leadership, he put together one of these things called truth-telling commissions. And a lot of black people did not like it because he offered white people amnesty, basically, if they just tell the truth. And I was watching some of those commissions on TV. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's, some of it's just heartbreaking because some of those black people were telling stories about being beaten, raped, mutilated, and everything. But it was the truth, you know? And it was something very, very difficult for that country to go through. But they are better today because they went through it. So the truth sometimes hurt. But too often here in America, we hide from the truth because we don't want to deal with it. And then, and then last of all, we have to unite in justice. Justice has to be what America should unite around. Everyone should want justice, not injustice. And yet we see too much injustice take place. And we see the people who committed get off. But you can't have healing without justice. There has to be justice. And then one, one, one last thing, we got to unite in power. Got to unite in power. You know, um, we can all uh, vote for and support people who also support racial justice, racial equality, uh, equal voting rights, those are things that all of us should want and all of us should be able to unite around and all of us should, should be able to support. And we should be supporting people in the political arena who also support such things. But sadly, we see all the opposite today. But I still, I still have, have hope. I still have, have hope. I still have hope that enough people are going to unite and come together and say, it's time. It's time for racial healing. It's been too long. It's time. I just have hope in that. Well, speaking of racial healing, talk about some tips on how we can unite and heal from the, the pain of slavery and racial injustice. Sure. You know, I talk about something in the book when I talk about healing. I talk about perception, perception, because lots of times we can't heal because our perception might, might be wrong, in other words. So 
I had some incidents uh, when I was when I was growing up. I guess I was about oh 16, 17. I was into into weight weightlifting. I had a bald head, sported a small small mustache, and one day I was walking through this grocery store. I was wearing my muscle shirt and I had my shades on and my bald head and I was looking for some item. I was walking down the aisle and about 20 or so feet away from me was this elderly white woman and she had a purse on her, on her arm. And she was, she was looking at, uh, at some uh, items. And so as I got closer to her, I noticed she she looked up and she saw me and I noticed that she tensed up, her whole body tensed up. And she took her purse and she moved her purse closer to her as if she might have been afraid that I was going to you know, snatch it or take it or something. And so I walked by her. I noticed it. I just, I just, I just kept on walking. And as I walked away from her, I glanced back and I noticed that she relaxed, loosened her grip on the purse. Now, many people would say she did that because she was a racist. And for a long time, that was my perception too. But then I realized something. Maybe she didn't do it because I was black. Maybe she did it because I was a, a strong young man sporting his muscle shirt with, with sunglasses on. And she was just afraid, you know? So sometimes some things are done to us, not really because of race. So we really have to be aware of our uh, perception. Yes, some things are done to us because of race, absolutely. But maybe not all things. And so we have to become keener on our uh, perception. But in order for, for healing to take place, there must be confession. You know, there must be straight up, straight out confession. And as a country, we have, we have not done that. I, I think a lot of people have. I think a lot of white people have. But as a country, we have not come together and truthfully confessed. Because after the Civil War ended and during the Reconstruction period, there were roadblocks put up that kept Blacks out of, out of power and out of the seven major institutions that I call education, law enforcement, so forth, so forth. So there has to be a real confession. And, and I'm, I'm believing, I'm, I'm trusting God that there's going to be a revival that's going to sweep through the United States and not only through the United States, but around the world of people just basically confessing, just confessing, confess the sins of the past, confess the sins of our ancestors. And then we got to repent because that's the only way that we, that we will heal. We have to repent. We have to repent of all of the hateful wrong things that have been taking place and that still are taking place Today, there must be true repentance. And then there has to be forgiveness. We have to forgive. I, I've been wrote a, a, another book on that. It's so important that we forgive. As, as Black people, we, we have a very complicated past. You know, 
for the last few thousand years, we have been slave owners. <laughs> we have been leaders of kingdoms that have enslaved other people. Uh, we have been uh, oppressors at times, but and yet and still we have been slaves. We have been oppressed, you know? And so we have a very, very complicated history to deal with. So we have to look at our past. We have to look at our present. We have to forgive other groups of people, but we also have to forgive ourselves, you know? And we have to move, move forward. And then the last thing, we got to deal with the hurt. We've been through so much hurt and so much heartache and so much pain, and it continues today. And yet, uh, sometimes when someone asks us, are you all right? For most black males, we say, I'm good, I'm good. But we're really not, we're really not. So we have to learn how to say to each other, brother, I'm hurting. You know, um, we have to learn how to cry, just break down and cry sometimes. And so when we learn how to express our hurt, then we can begin to better communicate with, with others. Well, tell us about your books, you know, tell us, kind of give us a brief description of each one and what readers can expect when they read it and how they can purchase it. Sure. So black and white, healing racial divide is, I call it a balanced, a balanced and um, interesting read about race and racism. And I think what's, what's really unique about this particular book is that I have in it challenges for black and for white people. There are separate and distinct challenges that I give to each group. And one of the things I give to, give to uh, Black people is that we have to acknowledge that there is something that's called Black racism, Black racism. And I'll talk about that in the book. So get the book. If you're really interested in it, get, get the book. You know, people are just, I think that this book is going to become so popular. It's had over 150 some odd reviews. And from that, it's ranked. Uh, 4.7 out of five stars. Nobody has actually ranked it a one star or a, or, or a two star. So that's, that's you know, it, that's really, really, really good. So get the book. It's on Amazon. You can go onto my website. My website address is speakerholly.com. Speaker, speakerholly.com where you find all of the books. So that's that's black and white. But my other book, one of my other books is entitled The Next Level Forgiver. That book is actually turning out, it's doing very, very well. The Next Level Forgiver. And it talks about the four levels of forgiveness, level zero, level one, level two, and level three. And it goes through each one of those levels and guides the reader to let the reader know, am I on level zero am I, or am I on one? And it talks about some, some problems and issues that we have forgiving and how we can get past those problems in those, in those issues. But I also talk about my personal struggle with forgiveness in the book. And like I said, that one is doing very, very well as well. The Next Level Forgiver is, a, is the title of that. And then another book is, 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 is entitled Soar Above the Pain. 
sore above the pain. And that's about my personal life being born, you know, the youngest of 17 children struggling through poverty and everything, fighting to become the first in my family to graduate. And then uh, the tragic death of my son. And I talk about the details about all those many dark hours we had. That book also is, is, is doing well. Soar above the pain. So go to my website, speakerholly.com. Read a little bit about the books. Read a little bit about me. If you need a, a speaker out there that, that you want to speak on race, or we know that Black History Month is coming up in February of next year, you know, if you need a speaker, get in, get in touch with me. Speakerholly.com. Well, let's flip over and talk about business because not only are you a great author and speaker, you are a businessman too. So tell us about the seven needs of high-performing employees. Sure. So I, I am a 30-plus year business uh, professional. I work in the information technology department. So I'm a computer engineer by day, speaker by night. And so I've, I've worked for several, several different companies and in, in, uh, several different leadership uh, positions. So when I wrote, I wrote Seven Knees, I wrote that based on my personal experience. So it, 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 it's, it's entitled Seven Knees of High-Performing Employees. And it talks about seven specific things that high-performing employees need from their leaders, from their managers. Uh, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll share one of them with you because it's the most popular need. Uh, and that need is the need for employees to respectfully disagree with leadership. So need number one that I talk about in the book is for managers and leaders to recognize that their high performers out there have some great ideas and they're not gonna share those ideas and that they feel comfortable sharing them. And so I say to managers, I say, tell your people, explicitly say it to them, tell them it's okay. If you have a different thought, a different idea, a different strategy, bring it to me. Let's talk about it. Even if it's different from something that I want to do, as long as you present it respectfully, I will think about it and mull over. And as we give high performers freedom to talk, they're going to say some things that are going to simply blow us away if they feel that it's comfortable enough for them to talk. So that book also is doing very, very well. And it's, it has not received not any one stars, no, no two star. You know, it's, 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 it's just awesome. It's just, you know, God's just doing things. And uh, I'm just, I'm just hanging on, hanging on for the actual ride, you know? Well, let's talk about how to engage effectively in business. You know, you talked about how you, you let your employees know that they can respectfully disagree, but how do you engage effectively? Sure. So one of the things that I share in the book is um, I, I say to, to managers that, Whenever you tell employees uh, to give you their advice or their thoughts on something, 
I say, be, be serious enough to take their thoughts and their ideas into real consideration because that's how you're going to be able to open up engagement. Engagement is nothing other than free will, open conversation that a person feels comfortable sharing with you, okay? And so I talk about, tell your, tell your folks that if you have any ideas about the procedures, about the process, about whatever we're doing here, then share those ideas with us as managers and leaders. But here's the catch. Managers and leaders must, 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 they must at some point put into effect something that those employees are bringing to them. Why? Because that lets those employees know that you're taking what I say to you seriously and that I am contributing to the necessary change you know, or the necessary improvements of this actual company. When someone tells us or brings to us ideas about positive change uh, and we never do implement any of them, then at some point in time, that employee is gonna stop talking. They're gonna stop communicating. They're gonna stop bringing things to us because they feel as if we're just taking their ideas and throwing them right into a trash can. So we can't implement everything that employees bring to us because some things may not be feasible. But at some point, someone is gonna bring something to us that we can implement. And when we can implement that, we should. We must and we must celebrate that employee who did so to set the example for other employees. That improves engagement. Now that employee now wants to continuously come and bring thoughts, ideas, improvements. Why? Because they've had a positive experience. And that's the key to engagement is to reward people, take what they say that's seriously and put into effect and watch that engagement take off. And sometimes employees will start talking a little bit too much and that's fine. I would rather have employees talk too much than not enough. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about speaking. Give us some tips on how to get high engagement and how to lose the fear and own the room for those who wanna be speakers out there. Sure. So I've, I've talked to you about my problem coming up, I my stuttering issue and, it was really bad when I got in front of a audience of white people that I can remember in uh, high school, middle school and high school. In fact, whenever the teacher gave us a speaking assignment, I always tried my best to squirm out of it some way. Either I was sick or I was out or I forgot. But there were times when I had to do it, you know? And those times were usually the worst time but I made it through it, I made it through it. And so, but my worst nightmare happened when I was running for Congress. This was back in 2010. I was running for Congress and I was at this meeting and myself and several other candidates were on the stage in front of a room full of people. Well, the other two candidates spoke first and they were just 
elegant and thoughtful, you know, and then it came my turn. I was the last to speak. I started out strong, went in for about maybe a minute or so, and then it hit me. I looked up and I saw the look on the people's faces. And for a split second, my mind went back to how I was growing up, you know, going behind the building, ordering my hamburger next to the garbage can. And I started stuttering. I started stuttering in front of all those people. And you know what they did? They laughed. They laughed. And I felt so humiliated. We had three minutes to speak. I took maybe about a minute and a half or two minutes, and then I stopped. And when I went home, my head was hanging down. I went in the house. I went straight to the, the bathroom, shut the door. I sat on that commode, and I cried. And I said, how in the world can I do this when I can't even speak? Two weeks later, I had another big speaking event as a candidate. Again, room full of people, but that night I was the only candidate to speak. And I'm sitting there waiting, this guy is introducing me and I'm beginning to sweat because I know what just happened two weeks ago. And I'm thinking in my mind, oh, what if I stutter? Oh my goodness, not me. So I'm sitting here shaking as this guy is introducing me. And when he says my name, I. I get up, I walk toward that microphone, I take a deep breath, I look around and everybody's staring at me. And I go, I just started talking. And I started talking about things I was very familiar with, my upbringing and the struggles I had in my high school days and things like that. And when I got done, those people gave me a standing ovation standing ovation. So I say that to say this, speaking, great speaking and, and effective speaking doesn't start with the mouth at all. It has nothing to do with the mouth. It has nothing to do with the voice. Speaking will always begin in the mind. It must begin in the mind. It starts with how you see yourself. And if you don't see yourself as much then your speaking is not going to be effective. But if you see yourself as a person who's there to deliver something of value, and no matter how it goes, you're going to do the best that you can. And, that, and if you know that you're going to say something somewhere along the way that's going to change someone's life, that's where speaking begins. And I had to learn that the hard way. I had to change the way I saw myself. And now I see myself as a person who brings value wherever I go. I believe that. I know that. I've had that type of feedback. I love it when people come to me and say, my life has changed because of something you said. You know? And I know that it, it's God working through me and God using me. You know? But I have to see myself as a person who is worthy of delivering a message that is life-changing. So I say to, to everyone out there maybe struggling, change the way you see yourself. Change the way you see yourself. And then, then let's begin with the mouth. The mind first, 
Mouse Tell us about any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about. Sure. So kind of a, a, a very, very strange thing happened. <laughs> we wouldn't, yeah, we're actually it's not strange. It's so a conservative pastor invited me to his conservative white congregation to speak. And um, a couple of days before going, I, I said, well, you know, I, I think I think the Lord is leading me to speak on race, speak about race. And he kind of became uncomfortable. <laughs> I can understand that, but, you know, but, you know, he says, well, you know, whatever the Lord is leading you to speak on, this, that's what I want you to speak on. To yeah, OK, that's it. So, you know, I go there, make it there. And, and, and he introduces me and I get up and right before I speak, I kind of glance at him and, and, and I notice he's kind of, he looks kind of nervous. And, and really I am too, because I don't know how the audience is going to, going to accept this, you know? So I started speaking and I started talking about, about race, but I talked about race in a, in a God ordained beautiful way, the way God meant it to be, you know? I didn't do that along the ugliness of racism. I talked about the beauty of race and how God wants all of his people to love one another. And I was talking about a incident where a coworker of mine um, who owned a rebel flag, you know, I was talking to him about how he and I bumped heads over that flag, but in the end, how we decided to love each other and respect each other anyway. And at the end of my speech, those people stood up and started clapping, standing ovation, which I was shocked. I thought if I could just get through without being heckled or shouted down, you know, that would be a victory. But they stood and they applauded. And one person afterwards told me, she said, the whole world needs to hear that speech. And I said, I, I, I think one day God's going to do that. I think he's going to put me in a place where the whole world will hear that speech. And now I'm working with that church. That church now has become a client. And now I'm working with that church to help them develop race training, customized race training for their church. And they're going to be delivering it in, in January of next year. So it's, 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 it's those stories that are so rewarding for me because I know that, you know, it, it, that's God working through me, doing his work, you know, reconciling his people, trying to bring people together in peace. Well, give out your full contact information, your speakerholly.com, your, your social media link and all that. Sure. So speakerholly.com, that's my website, speakerholly.com. My telephone number is 256-479-3278, 256-479-3278. My Facebook page is Speaker Holly. If you want to hit me up on that. Now, I, I don't have a whole lot of, of, of other social media accounts. I am on Twitter, and it's actually backwards. It's Holly. Speaker on Twitter. So if you want to look for me on Twitter, it's Holly Speaker. So just uh, reach out, get in touch. Um, you'll find everything that I offer on my on, on my uh, website. So if you see something that is that is uh, interesting, reach out. I'm gonna close it out with this last question. 
with everything going on today, how do people deal with the tragedies of life without giving up? Close us out with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, hope is something that we all, all need. And I, I've been in that place where I wanted to give up. Uh, after my son died, I, I just wanted to give up. I just wanted to just throw it in and say, I quit. That's it. I'm done. And I always say this to people, even though bad has happened in your life, always remember that you still have a purpose. Even though you're hurting, even though it's painful, even though it's midnight, remember God never removes the purpose from your life. Never does that. And no matter what bad in our life occurs, we still have a purpose. And God wants us to fulfill that purpose. That's, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, we need to learn how to cry. Go ahead and just express our hurt, our pain, our emotions. Learn how to cry. And if, and if necessary, curse. You know, that's okay. You know, I'm a minister, but let me tell you, some, some things that happen in my life that just makes me want to curse. You know, they're just so hurtful and so, and so painful. So just learn to express yourself. I always remember that God still has a purpose and just trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. I'm praying that God would direct your path each and every single day. Give you strength give you mercy, give you grace in Jesus name. Amen. And listeners, I'm praying that you will follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible because Mr. Hawley is a great speaker. He has a great story and his story and his books and his work can change somebody's life. So please be sure to share this to as many people as possible. Android listeners, Go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Charles Holly, Speaker Holly, thank you so much for joining me today and gracing my audience with your story and presence. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. It's been a pleasure, sir. And we pray that our paths meet again one day. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.